Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to make a note that this episode includes discussion about mental illness and suicide. Please choose another story if these details may be triggering for you. Veronica's mom had schizophrenia, and her father was a World War II veteran who suffered from PTSD. Veronica's childhood and teenage years were very tumultuous. Her story is remarkable, as is Veronica. If you are enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, Veronica's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm glad that you're here today, and today I have with me Veronica, and Veronica is sitting in Australia, and I'm sitting in Pennsylvania, and I just said before we started recording, this is one of the benefits that has came come out of the pandemic for me is just this opportunity to meet people from all over the world and hear their stories. Um, she and I connected online. Uh, we were both participants in one of those five-day challenge things that's offered online. And I posted about um, women who would want to share their stories about their moms. And so Veronica is here today to share the story um, of her mom, Rosie, and then to to share some of the things that she's doing herself in the world as well. So Veronica, I'm gonna turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself and tell your story. And then I'll come back with some questions when you're done, but I really appreciate you being here today. Oh, thank you so very much, Beth. It's a privilege to be here. I think this is an, an important topic and I'm so glad that you've created this platform where people from all over the world can come and talk about this, this important issue. So thank you very much for having me here today. Thanks for being here. I really wanted to start by sharing a quote by Rumi. And he said this, we are born of love and love is our mother. And I have to remind myself of that very thing over and over again, because I questioned the fact um, I questioned whether my mother actually loved me many times in my youth, particularly during my teenage years and my early 20s. I really questioned that because I never actually heard my mother say, I love you. I never heard that. And I, I really wanted to hear those words, I love you, from my mother. And so when Rumi said, we are born of love and love is our mother, I think that resonates with me, a very positive aspect of um, the mother archetype. And so I'm going to take you back to when I was born. That's 51 years ago. And I'm from Mauritius. And my mother was Mauritian and my father was Hungarian. So both my parents have passed away now. My mother passed away about 30 years ago. So actually, yes, 30 years ago, I was 21 years old. And I, I really do miss her terribly. But I'll, I'll, I'll go back to where it all happened in Mauritius. And uh, I remember that my mother and my father kept a little diary about the early years, which they kept hidden for a very long time. I only discovered this um, when my mother passed away. So as I said, my mother passed away when I was 21 years old. And I found this little diary that was kept of my early years from the time that I was born to the time I was two and a half years old. I had a diary and it was all about Veronica. 
It was amazing. I had no idea that there was a lot of love that was poured onto me in, in that type of work. And um, the diary was kept uh, so well hidden in these little, you know, um, boxes. And I discovered what was in it. And I'm so, so glad that I kept up with my French because it was all in French. And what happened was that I was unplanned and my father worked for the UN in Mauritius and also in Tanzania. He was an agricultural expert and he traveled all along Eastern Africa and Mauritius to uh, implement his design, his irrigation design system. And so I was unplanned, <laughs> uh, so to speak, quote unquote. And um, they decided to put me into a convent uh, at the age of two and a half months for a period of two years. So I actually didn't have that interaction with my mother early on. Um, I was looked after by nuns. Again, I was in a convent and I also had my own nurse. And she wrote about the fact that when I, when I um, had my first teeth and um, when people came to visit me, that type of thing. And so when I went back to my family, you know, after two and a half years, um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I do remember about my, mo my mother was her voice. I was intrigued by her voice and the softness of her voice and the songs, the beautiful French songs that she, she would sing. Um, however, that period of time, that, that lovely intimate period between, I guess, two and a half and three and a half, or just about me turning four, uh, was short-lived <laughs> because I, I ended up uh, starting prep when I was three and a half turning four in Mauritius, which was quite young. But unfortunately, my, my mother and my father had a tumultuous, tumultuous relationship and he was absent. He was an, an absent father, an absent husband and traveling the world. And my mother had to go back to work and there was no one really to look after her two children. So I have a, an older sister and we went to prep at the same time. So it was basically from the time that I was in prep to the time that I was 21 when I, and I lost my, my mother, I felt a, a distance, kind of like a, not an intimate relationship. And I didn't know why, even though I, I really wanted to, to know more about her, she wasn't very open. And I only discovered later on in life her own trauma and what must have been really, really difficult for her to let go of her daughter into that situation I was in. Um, when, I, when I read um, my diary, uh, my nurse said, you know, my mother would, would be sometimes very teary watching me in the convent and then having to leave me behind. And, and that, again, that must have been very traumatic for her. And in those days, in the Mauritian culture and where how I was brought up even, uh, the women, <laughs> unfortunately, didn't have a voice. So it was actually quite unbelievable when I did some research. My mother had to give up her work. She actually had to give up her work 
when she was married. This was Mauritian culture back in the 1960s and, and early 70s. And um, maybe perhaps that was one of the reasons that she didn't get married until she was 30. And that was deemed quite old for, um, for uh, a lady uh, during the 60s and, and 70s. So uh, she actually had to give up her work, which she, she absolutely loved, but she did, it very, she did it willingly, obviously, because she was in love with my father and, and she loved us. Um, but I sensed that there was a, um, there was a, a lack of fulfillment in her heart um, and we traveled a lot. The decline in relationship came when we moved to Australia. So we traveled quite a lot during my early years. One year in Australia, one year in Mauritius. And that happened up, up until I was about nine years old. And the reason for that is because my, again, my parents were quite unsettled and, and my mother had mental illness. So she, 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 was she was schizophrenic and it was not discussed in our family. My father never took her to get medical advice. She never had medication. She suffered immensely, immense suffering. And furthermore, my father had his own issues. He had PTSD. He was a war veteran. He was uh, in the German army in World War II. He was knighted for bravery during World War II. And so if you can imagine the type of upbringing I had was very strict, um, Catholic upbringing. My mother was uh, very religious. She actually wanted to become a nun before she ended up deciding to, to marry my father. <laughs> so it was a very strict upbringing. We didn't discuss our emotions. It wasn't very open. And I struggled with that because I think as a child, I was very much like Squirrel Nutkin. If you remember Beatrix Potter, her, her wonderful books, this is just one of the fond memories that I have when my father gave my sister and I Beatrix Potter books. And he used to say that my sister was like Peter Rabbit, who loved to eat in Mr. McGregor's garden. But he said Veronica or Nika, he would call me Nika, N-I-K-A, abbreviated Veronica. You are like Squirrel Nutkin because you're very mischievous and you can be quite rude sometimes. And I had incredibly long hair. My hair went right down to my bottom and it was beautiful. And he just loved my hair. He said, oh, you're like Squirrel Nutkin with so proud of your, of your tail. You know, like my hair was my my pride and he just loved it so much but I was a little bit rude and I loved to play around and um, it wasn't tolerated <laughs> let's just put it that way there was a a, a a beauty with regards to how we were brought up because again we were brought up in the country um, we had we had horses we had sheep we had cats we had chickens we had a beauty sur uh, surrounding us in terms of our connection with nature. However, there were demons that popped up um, that were unresolved. My parents had unresolved demons, unresolved trauma that they kept very hidden within their hearts that, again, I'm only discovering now in my uh, 
50s you know I, as I said I'm, I'm 51 and I'm starting to discover what what it's all about now and I'm so glad that I haven't I've persisted along this journey and that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the work that I'm doing in terms of promoting mental health first aid and um, really trying to help people understand the, the value of mental health as well as physical health as well as spiritual health so I view the world in a holistic paradigm and I think it's very, very important. More people are aware now that it's, you know, when, when we're not well, it's not just the physical body, but ment our, our mental body and our spiritual body is all there. We need to have a look at all of, all of the aspects of our humanity, um, not just one aspect. So by and large, the way that I brought up and, and my question, my questioning and why has this happened and what can I do about it? How can I manage my own mental illness? How can I overcome all of these impediments, the way that I was brought up? Um, that, that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. So it's because I have a very questioning and very curious mind. So let's go back to, again, how I was brought up. Um, my father was an army guy, so we had dinner at six o'clock. And if dinner was not ready at six o'clock, there would be a lot of drama. And unfortunately, there were many instances when he beat up my mum. And um, I remember even one occasion where my mother hurried my sister and I, and, I, and I, my heart breaks. I actually, my, my heart breaks at, at even the thought of her trying to save us from my father's anger. But she, she locked us up in the room to make sure that we were safe. And I, I think at the time we were in Melbourne, in Balaclava, a little region in little suburb Balaclava. And um, she just said to my sister Jane and I, just stay in the room. She closed the door and we heard really a lot of pain. My, my father just picked her up, threw her against the wall. And, um, and I think after that, she just, she just had no voice. So if you can understand uh, women who suffer from domestic violence, um, there, there's a lot of evidence out there that says that uh, they, they love their partner so much and they feel really like a lot of guilt themselves. They, they question themselves, they put it on themselves and, and um, they find it very difficult to move out unless somebody from the outside environment comes in, door knocks and says, hey, I've noticed this. There's something wrong here. What can we do to help you? And this is my whole focus on teaching mental health first aid because people who suffer from mental health problems or mental illness may not have the capacity to realize that they're in a negative spiral or in a negative environment and not able to pull themselves out of it. They need somebody else to see what is happening and to come in and say, no, this is not good. I'm going to help you. I'm going to direct you to professional help. And again, um, to, to, to have seen how my mother have, has suffered all of those years just utterly broke my heart. Not only that, she had schizophrenia. So she would 
talk to herself pretty much on a daily basis. Some of it was okay, but most of the time she was actually arguing to this voice that was in her head and um, she would she would just talk to herself on a daily basis. She would hallucinate and have delusions. And I remember when my sister, um, quite rightly so, she, she, she had enough of that situation when she was 16, 17. She, she left home at the age of 17. She said, I'm, I'm going to go work. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to look after myself. And I remember my father being so offended by my sister, he wanted to beat her as well. And um, my, my sister just left home. She left outside of the home. By that stage, we were living in Bendigo. And she left. And again, that devastated my heart. So I, com I completely rebelled against my father by that stage. Uh, Beth, I... I um, I yelled at him and I said, she's my sister, how dare you? All of that, you know, teenage stuff. I was 16 years old at the time. And so he decided to do something. <laughs> he decided to do to me what he did to my mother, unfortunately. He dragged me into his room. He locked the door. My mother did nothing because, again, she was just so fearful of my father and fearful of, of dying. And, um, and he got his gun and he pointed it to my head. And I remember just feeling the cold, the coldness of the metal against my head and his arm just squishing my arm and knowing that I had no strength against, he was six foot two, about six foot two, a big German guy. I, I, he knew he had the power against me. And he just said to me flat out, like he said to my mother, you know, he was trying to repeat what he did to my mother, to me. If you speak out against me one more time, I, I will kill you. Not only will I kill you, I have the power to destroy your mother. I have the power to, um, to pretty much end your life. And so I was in shock. For, I was just in shock. And so I said, yes, of course, I'm going to obey. And I'm sorry, I apologized. And, um, and then my, my life became very much like my mother's. I became very inward. I didn't, didn't open up. My heart closed up quite a bit. And I, I basically said to myself, you know what, Veronica, there is a way out. All you have to do is study, study hard really, really work hard and then get work and get your mother out of this situation because this is not a good situation. It, no one seems to know what is happening here. So through the immigration to Australia, my mother lost her family. There was no community. We lived in a small country town. And again, during the 1970s, uh, we were confronted by racist remarks. You know, we were uh, my, my, again, we were black. We were deemed as black because my, my mother was half, well African, <laughs> and so am I. And um, she didn't feel very welcome, unfortunately. And um, it, it was just very, a very, very difficult situation on all aspects. 
And so I went inside on myself, but I said to myself, there is a way out. All I have to do is study and get out. And, um, and I was very influenced by my father. I actually was very influenced by him because he was very intelligent. And um, he said, Veronica, you're only going to be smart if you study science. Everything else is rubbish. So, so even though my heart was for language and art and dance, I let that go. And I said, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it. So I ended up with a degree in biochemistry. I worked really, really hard. And um, let me just say, for someone who's just been diagnosed with ADHD, it was very difficult for me. Um, but I, I, I did it because I, I really wanted to take my mother out of that situation. I knew that I could. Unfortunately, she developed a physical illness when, um, when I turned 18. Um, she developed a physical illness. She had a blood clotting condition and um, she was in and out of hospital. She needed several um, medications for her, for her issue. In fact, it wasn't really clearly diagnosed what was her issue. She had a lot of abdominal pain and I was her carer. So I became responsible for her health. And uh, it was, it was I, I really didn't have a normal teenage upbringing. Let's put it that way. And so not only that, I had to make sure that my father was appeased, that he had his dinner at six o'clock ready on the table because he was, again, German background. Everything had to be correct. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be right. And so I ended up being a perfectionist. I ended up being um, very critical of myself. But I also wanted to, to excel. I, I knew that I wanted to excel. And um, I recognized even back then that my father had had these violence tended, violent tendencies because of the fact that he was a um, um, ex-lieutenant in the German army. And what he had been through, unfortunately, he had never been able to share. And he had in his vulnerable moments, he had those vulnerable moments where he said he actually can't say to anyone what he's experienced. This is the unfortunate thing back then. We're starting to recognize that people have been through war, veterans. I mean, people need, you know, we were discussing this before. People need people. People need the opportunity to be heard and to have their experiences shared and without judgment. But of course, back then, I mean, I hated my father. Let's just put it that way. I absolutely hated him. That was what was there. And I'm, I'm sharing this with you very openly, because again, I, I want to change this. There, there is a wonderful outcome at the end of this. And that's why I start with love. I start with Rumi's beautiful quote, you know, we are born of love. Love is our mother and it will end beautifully. But during that journey, let me tell you, I have had moments of up and down and moments where I actually wanted to kill myself because I hated myself so much. And that was when I was 19. The reason why I hated my life so much was not only because of the, the fear of my father killing me, but my mother, because she didn't have access to medication for her schizophrenia, she really believed that someone was going to kidnap me. Um, she thought that my sister 
was kidnapped. You know, she left home and she didn't hear from my sister. So I ended up being locked up in, in, in my room, you know, from, from the time that I was 16 to the time that she passed away, unfortunately, 2021, I said 20, for, for five years, four or five years. Um, so I, 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 I had this understanding that she didn't have ill intent, but she was really worried about whether, you know, my father would come in through his access he had access to my room I had there was two doorways so she locked access to one room where he could access me pardon me and she also locked the ability for me to go out via the other room and she also padlocked all the windows in my room so there was a fear that I would be kidnapped but also a fear that my father would kill me so there was a, it, it was a very complicated situation. And at one point I just said, that's it. No one loves me. Surely my, my father and my mother don't love me because this is not love. That was not an experience of love. And so I decided to go to my doctor one day and I said, I can't sleep, give me some pills. And I had a plan, you know, I had a plan to, to just kill myself. And, um, I decided just to, to take the sleeping pills and to drink whiskey, which I don't do. I actually don't like alcohol. To, even to this day, I don't drink very much alcohol, but I decided to end it all. And yet there was a little voice at the back of my mind because I was a very spiritual soul. And that's, I think that was something that, that I had innately, probably maybe from the prayers of the nuns around about me when I was only, you know, <laughs> a little baby. They, they prayed for me and, and my mother was very spiritual too. And, and so was my father in his own way. But at, at the back of my mind, there was a voice that says, that said, call your sister, call your sister. And so I called her, I said, Jane, you know what? I don't know how many pills I've taken. And I, I just really don't know. I'm really desperate. Could you come and help me? <laughs> and she did come. She did come. My mother was so happy to see her. She did come. And she came with her boyfriend and she said, Veronica, just vomit out, whatever. She made me vomit, all, all of that. And um, to this day, so blessed that my sister answered my call. You know, Sometimes in our darkest moments, we may think that there's no one there, but I truly believe that there is. I truly believe that we are all connected, that when we have a desire to live, that, that comes out, that comes out, that spirit, the angels around about you will navigate a situation so that little angel will come and the angel came in the form of my sister. And so again, this is the reason why I do the work that I do. And I, I teach mental health first aid and the importance for people to understand that you don't need to be a psych psychologist. You don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be a psychotherapist to be that person, be that angel, be that person to go out and say, hey, I think I can help. I think I understand that you're in a dark place at the moment, but there's help out there. Just like my sister, she recognized I was in a dark place and she didn't stay home. 
she didn't, you know, stay with a boyfriend. She said, no, 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 Veronica, she's never heard me like that before. I'm going to go and I'm going to help her. So we can all play our part. We can all do our part to help somebody who is suffering from mental illness um, or is developing a mental health problem. And so, again, um, I decided after that, you know what, I'm just going to focus and concentrate. I know that there's an experience of love. And I delved into scriptures. I delved into my Bible. I delved into spirituality. I think that was my, my passport out. I looked into um, divinity and I discovered that I wasn't just a body, that I had a soul, that I had a spirit, that I had a purpose, no matter what that was, whether it was to be just, you know, um, a cleaner or whatever, whatever your role in life, it is divine as long as you live it with love. Again, I'm going, going to go back to that message of love. We are born of love. Love is our mother. So whatever you have in your heart, if it's love, it is the thing that you do. It is your purpose. It is your fulfillment, just being you. And when you delve into the word love, I found out that the German word for love, of course, is Lieber, but it's related to Lief, belief, belief, and also related to the word in Latin, libido or desire and Lieber, which means freedom. So when, it come, when I go back to the mind and the perspective of love, I say to myself, and I encourage others to go back to your belief. What is your belief? What is your desire? Because love wants to ignite a desire within you to be free. Because that, all those words are related to love, belief, desire, freedom. So when you are free and when you live in love, that darkness dissipates and the light ignites and you just move towards greater and greater light. Not that you will ever live in complete light because we live in a yin and yang world. We live in, there is darkness for a reason because that, that darkness exists so that, when, so that the light can be seen, right? That's what I say. The light can be seen when there's darkness. And so the darkness came for me, um, again, number of, number of moments in my life, but particularly when um, my mother passed away. And that for me was quite a, tr a tragedy because she had so much to give and she was closed up in, in her own little world. And, um, and it was just something that the world really ought to, ought to have um, learned about. You know, she had a gifting. She had her art and her, her voice and her music and, and her beauty, which actually I want to share. And that's why, Beth, I'm so very thankful that you have this podcast where, you know, people like me are able to share this story. Um, it is an important topic. It is a very important topic. And I actually haven't had the opportunity to discuss this openly with, with anyone. And as I went back, you know, we talked about the importance of, of um, sharing your, your experience so that maybe somebody else out there could have a, may have a similar experience and may connect with that little story 
and, um, and maybe learn something from that as well. So when, when my mother was um, 53, uh, she went back to Mauritius and I had already graduated my, you know, I already had my university qualification at the age of 20. And um, I went, yes, finally, finally, I'm going to take her to Mauritius. We're going to live together and she can leave my father, right? That was my plan. I thought, mum, just stay in Mauritius. I wrote to her, you know, by the way, dad wants to bring you back to Australia. Don't come to Australia. I'm going to go there. Just wait a little while. But unfortunately, my father brought her back. And I was like, no, why did he bring her back? This was winter. It was winter. It was August, you know. Um, and it was, it was just around July, August, 30 years ago. And I wasn't happy that she came back because I really wanted to live in Mauritius with her, where I knew she had family, she had community, and that was important for her. I recognized back then that for mental health, community is really important. No one can do this alone. We are not designed as solitary creatures. We need people. She had her family back in Mauritius. She had no one here, save for one friend who recognized that, you know, occasionally she would knock on, on mum's door and uh, would invite her out. But it was very, very rare, particularly because my mother not only had schizophrenia, but she had agoraphobia. So she never went outside of her front door. It was a horrific way to live. I mean, think about that. Not, so being, being a prisoner of your own mind, not being able to walk outside of your front door, it was only once a year when we had the Bendigo show or the Melbourne show, I was able to take her out and she was shaking, just shaking us with fear as I, as I took her out. And I said, it's okay, mum, I'm with you. You know, I'm with you. I'm not going to let you go. And that's all somebody needs sometimes, you know, um, just that reassurance. So unfortunately, because of her physical health issues, I remember, you know, I was checking her pulse constantly and one day, I remember, I said, Dad, I can't feel mum's pulse. She's, she's got such a weak pulse. And yet she was looking at me like I'm looking at, at, you know, like, you know, a friend right next to me. And I said, Dad, we've got to do something because we, li we lived at the time in Heathcote, which is a, a little country town of about 2,000 people, no emergency um, ward in the hospital. And uh, we needed to travel 45 kilometers north to Bendigo where there was an emergency department in the hospital. So he said, yes, Veronica, let's, let's go and take her to hospital. And uh, we took her to hospital and the doctors evaluated her and they said, she's fine to go home. She's okay. So we went home. The next morning I knock on her door, nothing. I knock again with greater desperation. I knock again, Mom! I call, nothing. She had barricaded her door again because she was just living in fear, in fear somebody might come in, in fear that all sorts of fears that she was living in. And so I, I had to push my way through her, her door and there she was breathless, on her bed with her cold body, 
and I performed CPR on her, but nothing could bring her back to life. I lost my mother and I lost a beautiful soul. The world did lose a beautiful soul. But through my own um, journey of spirituality, I recognize that my mother lives in me. Her spirit is eternal. And not only that, but my ancestors, you know, my, not only does, does her spirit live in me, but I recognize that I have my mother's spirit. I have my mother's mother's spirit. I have my ancestors spirit living through me and and it's all reflected in my children as well as my my beautiful nephews and and it's it's wonderful to see those little elements of my mum come out and I celebrate that because again um, death is not the end uh, death is not the end um, it is is just the cycle of life but at the time it was a very traumatic experience for me and it was the most traumatic experience for my father. He completely broke down like I had never seen him break down. And I understood then that he, he waited too late to say sorry. He waited too late to say sorry and he lived with a punishment for until the day that he died, which was about 12 years ago now, until the day that he died. And um, I, I, I tried to encourage him to walk a spiritual walk. And in the last two years of my father's life, he, he had a stroke. And I became my father's carer for a while. He said, Dad, you know what? It's okay. You know, like I, I was involved in a church at the time and I, and I encouraged him to delve into scriptures. And I said, you know, God loves you. And, and that is a fact, absolutely. God loves everyone, whether you are deemed good by society whether you deemed bad by society god is love and love doesn't have judgment in that sense god loves everyone I, I kept on saying that to him over and over and over again and one day beth he knelt down in front of me you know he was 87 years old at the time he knelt down in front of me and he said nika don't you hate me don't you hate me and I, I almost broke down. I said, no, Dada, no, I, I don't hate you because he had never actually acknowledged, by the way, that he had done all of those things. He had never acknowledged, but I thought I'm going to give him the opportunity. I'm going to give him the opportunity to unburden his heart. He said, don't you forgive, don't, don't you hate me? I said, no, I love you. It's okay, I love you. And he started to cry and he said, thank you. Thank you so much. He knelt down in front of me. He was 87 years old and he said, I'll go to church with you. He came to church and um, he said he started, he started really understanding God and that he was very sorry for, for, he, for, he, for the way that he acted and the way that he behaved um, with my mother, my sister and me. And so he died a year later, but there was a closure there. There was a closure there for me. And the only reason that there was closure there for me was because I had worked with myself and my spirit for such a long time. And not, not just uh, psychologically, I think more so spiritually. So for me, the foundation was the spiritual walk, the spiritual journey 
What does God say about this soul? And how do I see him through God's eyes? Because I hated him. And yet, if I say that I'm a spiritual soul and I am a born of love and I am and love is our mother, how can I hate? How can I do that? Is it there's part of me that really fought against that and I I love that that story the old Cherokee Indian story if you know about it the two wolves you know and the old Cherokee was there with his grandson or granddaughter I'm not too sure but um, he was telling about these two wolves who were fighting you know they were fighting you know there was the good wolf and the bad wolf and the bad wolf was like and the you know good wolf you know was fighting as well and and um and and the grandson or the granddaughter said to the old Cherokee grandfather, you know, who's the, who, which wolf ends up winning? And I'm, I'm really doing this very in, a, in abbreviation here. It's an abbreviated story, but I love the story. And the grandfather said, the one that you feed, the one that you feed. And so I thought, I'm going to feed my mind with words of love with thoughts of love towards the one that I hate the most. And that was my father. I absolutely hated him. But in the reflection, in the mirror, as I I had a revelation that I was my father. I will, the the hate, when when you look in the mirror, if you hate, if, if, well, for me anyway, I'm just saying that that hate, when I looked in the mirror, I saw, I saw my father. And I thought, no, that's not me. That's not me. I am born of love. I am born of love. Love is our mother. And I'm going to dwell in love. I'm going to live in that aspect. And I'm going to emanate that because I'm a child of God. And I am free to choose what my thoughts are. Despite the fact that I was brought up in, in such traumatic circumstances, I am still free. Remember the meaning of love. The meaning of love is, has its root in belief, in freedom. So what is my belief? You know, um, when, when you, I used to teach um, various courses, one, one of the courses I used to teach, business courses and then uh, to, to groups of people. And I used to say, you know, like, um, have a look at the tree, you know, like uh, when you're looking at people's behavior, the behavior is driven by the belief structure, right? The belief structure, you, you can't see it's the root underneath the tree. You can't see it, but it's the belief that's the most important. It's the roots that's seeping out all the nutrition from the soil, from mother earth, let's just put it that way. And so when you're thinking about connecting to your mother, you're connecting to love. What's the what's the word that you're 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 wanting to have in your in your mind? It's all going to be connected to love, and so um, that was my my revelation, and that absolutely changed my life. Um, and my father again, he 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 changed so much so that he. Um, I don't know. It was it was just such a wonderful experience and a, and a blessing for me to 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 have seen that um, hard man broken down. Ultimately, I saw this beauty within his own heart. And sometimes, you know, when we're confronted by people we we don't like or we we have uh, confrontations with, um, 
we have a choice again to choose to see them in the light that God has made them or we can choose to see them with the onion peel of trauma traumatic experiences that they may have been through or their ancestors may have been through um what are we going to choose to, how are we going to choose to see them um, the more that we as um, a society, for example, let's just let's just extrapolate a little bit bigger, the more that we as a society view people or a particular demography or a particular class of people, the more that we view them as royalty, as spirits of enlightenment, the more that we put that out there, that's what they become ultimately. That's what they become because we have that energy, we have that power through prayer, as we discussed before, um, to put that out there through ourselves and others. And I, I will not ever discount the fact that one individual can make a big difference in our society. And again, Beth, that's, that's the reason why I'm teaching mental health first aid. And that's why later on in my life, I recognize that I don't need to be ashamed anymore about my own mental illness. And I, and I can openly discuss it now. You know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't before, you know, I wasn't happy to tell people about my ADHD and my depression and my severe anxiety. And, and it wasn't something again that we discussed, but now, you know what? It's okay. It's absolutely okay. Everybody has a similar story as a collective. And so I would like to, um, I guess, complete this discussion by sharing an anagram of mother, because mother means so much to me and it means so much to everyone. And again, I, I, I see a beauty in, in father and in mother, but it's not many people talk about mother, you know, like in, in, in religious circles, it's the father, father, but you know, God, I think, is father and mother, not just father. There's the, the masculine element of God, but there's also the, the beautiful feminine aspect of God as well. And so when we look at the, just to close off, just to encourage people along this journey and to connect to the mother within, we all have that, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, we all have the mother within us. And so when you are facing those challenging times or you've disconnected with your own mother um, or, or even father um, or you're going through these difficult periods in life, have a look at the letter M. M stands for mindfulness. And I think everybody understands that the more that we are present within our own lives, the more that we connect to what we are doing right now and letting go of those thoughts that drag us in the past, that that helps, uh, that drags us down and letting go of those worries that might happen and that's in the future, but just really being present. And there's so many techniques, there's so much information out there now on YouTube and several books, but even one simple thing is just connecting to your breath. Even if you do that for one minute every day, you are being mindful and you can grow on that. And the other thing, um, so we'll just go through the anagram. So, oh, I, I like the, the word outsource. <laughs> Beth, I learned um, being a mother myself and my, my kids are 25 and 23 now. But I remember just 
because of my perfectionistic attitude back in the day, I had to do everything myself, right? I've got to do it all myself because my way is <clears throat> my way is the highway and I've got to do it. Everything's got to be perfect. And I was burnt out. I was completely burnt out. I had no time for my, my then um, husband and um, it doesn't work. So if you can outsource some help during the times when you need help most, you know, you might be a parent or you might be going through university, you might be studying, you might just need some, some help, do it. Again, there's a, there's a whole platform of um, individuals out there and organizations that you can get your outsourcing, outsourcing help from these days and connect to communities that can help you. That is really, really important. Um, the T stands for take time for yourself. It's okay to nurture yourself. It's okay to rest. You don't have to be on the go all the time. You don't need to compare yourself to another person, another individual. Your life is precious. Your way is beautiful. And really resting your soul. You know, I love the Jewish the Jewish philosophy of the Shabbat, you know, having that one day in the week where you rest from work, where you really let go of everything and you just have time to celebrate yourself, your friends and your family. And I think the Shabbat, I think if we can practice that Shabbat for ourselves on a regular basis, that is a, an important thing to do. The H stands for holistic. So as I discussed before, we used to think that the physical body is everything, all right? Let's pump some muscles here. Let's go to the doctor. Let's get the pills. Let's make sure that our body is all okay. However, we are becoming more enlightened individuals. We are understanding that our psychology and our mental health is just as important as physical health. And I hope that I will be able to inspire a few individuals out there um, to value their spiritual health, whatever that might be. That does not need to be a formal church, a formal synagogue or a mosque. That can just be you connecting to nature. All you have to, spirituality is just where do you feel inspired? Where do you feel that inspiration? That might just be reading poetry. So having a look at the holistic model is part of that whole journey. The E stands for equilibrium equilibrium is all about balance so when you look at nature it's all in equi equilibrium we talked about life we talked about death death happens it's inevitable it's inevitable but how do you view it and where 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 is your balance where is your balance in life how can you through that holistic model balance out your life a little bit more and um the last part is R, and R stands for relationships. And I only started learning about that uh, later in life. And I was blessed with, again, um, my, my marriage lasted only 13 years, but I remember my, my ex-husband loving to connect with people, such an extrovert. <laughs> And we had people over all the time and he had, he was able to give me a great example of um, placing an importance on relationship because I, I wasn't brought up like that. We didn't have people over. We, I don't ever remember having people over. 
Um, so it was really nice to have that experience with my ex-husband to understand the value of others and having relationship, but not only relationship with others, relationship with yourself. So that goes back to take time for yourself and maybe even journaling or, you know, doing something just for yourself um, and connecting with the greatest mother of all, mother nature, yeah? Connecting to nature as well. And so um, I'd like to end with that and um, thanking you so much for the opportunity to share my story with you and your listeners today, Beth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I feel like saying amen. I mean, I, I almost <laughs> felt like I just listened to a sermon um, with the whole, you know, your background story and the way that you wrapped it, uh, wrapped it up. Um, and I just wish that people could see you and how you just exude um, energy through yourself, um, and the smile that you have. Um, and from after you're share, sharing your journey, I mean, that, that is, um, remarkable. And I actually looked up on Sunday morning at church, the, um, sermon was about remarkable suffering. And I am oh. like, it is exactly the whole thing of what you just shared with me. And one of the main points was about Um, you know, like they talk about the refiner's fire, about putting the metals into a fire and burning out and the stuff that doesn't belong there and leaving the gold, the precious gold and silver and the precious metal. You are the precious metal that has come out of this refiner's fire of your life. Um, And what a testimony that you have and that you, um, I'm so glad that you're willing to share it and that you've um, come on here to do that because I really do think that, um, like we said before we started recording, that everyone's story is important um, and just being able to, to say it out loud and to talk it and to share it is such, you know, that's, I think that's part of our duty. I don't know where that falls in your, maybe it's in the equilibrium. You know, you said you're letting go of the shame, feeling ashamed or, you know, and, and being able to be 100% proud of who we are. Because the one thing people have said through this podcast is that they learned that you never know what somebody's story is. You have no idea what people have been through and everybody has a story to share and a story to tell. Um, but what you've, what you've done through your refiner's fire is, is remarkable. I'll use the word from the sermon. It's definitely remarkable. And I sincerely appreciate you sharing. Oh, thank you so very much, Beth, and um, what a blessing you are to give me the opportunity to share because I have not shared this before, uh, and I'm I'm really delighted that you've created this platform for it, and I'm very honoured, um, yeah, that you've um, called on onto me to share this story. So thank you very much. Yeah, me as well. So, is there a place where people can find you if they would like to connect with you online? Are you on Instagram or Facebook or have a website? Can you tell us about that? Yes, I do. So I have a business. It's called Mind, M-I-N-D, Health First. So my website is info, I-N-F-O, at mindhealthfirst.com.au. And I also have a platform on Facebook. And it's Mind Health First, but it's one S-T at the end. So, and you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm under my name, Veronica Strangio, but my business is Mind Health First. Okay. 
And I will link all that in the show notes so that people, you know, if you're in the car or running or wherever you're doing while you're listening to this podcast, you can come back um, and find Veronica. And if you've been touched by her story, I would encourage you to reach out to her because, you know, there is, it is, it is difficult sometimes to be so vulnerable and honest um, in sharing and sharing our stories. So I would love for people to reach out to you if they have felt a connection with you and to, to share that with them. Um, to share that with you so that you know that your um, story has reached. I know you'll reach at least one person, if not more. And that's what, that's what this is all about to me. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes a difference. Just one person, it makes a difference. It sure does. That's what you said. Yeah. That starfish, do you know the starfish story? No. Oh, well, there's another grandfather walking his grandchild along the beach along the seashore and there were thousands of starfish stranded along the beach and the grandfather was taking the starfish you know one at a time throwing it back into the sea and the grandchild said granddad that's going to take forever like what difference are you making and granddad said for that starfish it makes a difference Awesome. <laughs> I love yeah. it. I Thank love you. it too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Veronica. I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, Beth. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.